and welcome to this episode of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and we are here uh, today with our second part talking with Corey Brown. How are you, Corey? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Uh, for those who might have missed the first episode, Corey Brown is a former Mount West student who also went to Marshall University and, and got his degree in both places from the game design, game developer standpoint. Uh, so we talked about his trajectory through education. And this episode, I kind of wanted to dig more deeply into the technical side. For those who are maybe um, really thinking about getting into programming, really wanting to hear some of the techie stuff, or even people who may have just started and they want to hear some advice from a person who's who's done some programs, who's got some uh, games in, in the works, different projects. Uh, I want to talk more on a technical standpoint. So I'll, I'll try to I'll try to bounce off questions to Corey if he starts talking about super technical stuff so that everybody knows. But um, this whole episode is really going to be about um, the act of programming, the act of designing, um, project management, uh, the games he's worked on, the different projects he's worked on, that type of thing. So um, I guess, you know, we can bounce around however you like, but I would think it might make sense to go chronologically uh, with you, Corey. I know there was probably a lot of assignments at Mount West you had to do that were programming nature, but is there anything that stands out to you that you did personally or as an assignment that had a large scope that really affected you at your time at Mount West? Yeah. Uh, at Mount West, the first, uh, I guess one of the first game projects that I worked on was uh, supposed to be educational. So I took uh, educational about like mental health and it was a game written in action script three in flash that uh, pretty much you followed this kid around as he, he came home from school. There's no food in his fridge. Uh, he's I actually can't remember his name, but it was like, uh, I think it, I don't, I don't even know what it was, <laughs> but you would, <laughs> you would follow him around and, uh, uh, you know, you'd have him interact with different things and it kind of just led, uh, let the player experience different external uh, stimuli that would lead to or uh, exacerbate uh, mental health issues. And, you know, it got pretty positive feedback from most of the class. And then that kind of just drove me to like wanting to learn more things. Uh, the school would have regular events in the lobby for recruitment for the program, or we'd go to Marshall and set up a table. And uh, sometimes I would just like open up Unity and whip up a quick little 3D scene and uh, have that run real time on the computer. And then when people would stop by, they'd be like, oh, man, it looks so good. Uh, you know, how did you make it? And then I could just quickly, like, tab out, go over to the editor and, you know, show them the tools that I used to make it. So I'm curious, you bringing up that particular uh, game that you made, is for you, is it the, because um, you also mentioned, you know, making some very nice looking scenes. For you, is it the artistic standpoint of that that draws you back to that? Is it the the story and the message you're conveying? Was there some difficult programming barriers you had to get across? Like, you know, <clears throat> as an example, like you couldn't figure out how to get collision detection to work for everything in the scene. And you came up with a very elegant way to, to make a loop that made everything collide. Uh, in that particular case, and I guess... I guess overall, I can say that up front here for the, all your projects, which facet are you most uh, proud of or which facet do you most like to lean into of those types of areas? 
then it was it's definitely uh, graphics. Uh, I really like shaders, uh, even in Unity when you had you could write custom shaders and it, like the 3D aspect of it, and then just having things uh, work inside of a 3D environment, prototyping out, uh, you know, programming in C sharp. Uh, I kind of stuck to. I, w- I guess just the problem solving of it, thinking that there was something I wanted to create and uh, being able to, you know, make it exist so that I could show other people, basically. Um, okay. Well, because I, I know that, like, I definitely know that there are games that I see a lot on Twitter. And when I see them, yeah, I taught some programming. I did not, I did not delve nearly as deeply as the expertise you have at this point. So there may be some amazing elegant coding that's on display there but i personally can't see that from my experience i can typically definitely see the visuals of what's going on so i just wondered from from your standpoint as a programmer um but but also let me just before i finish that off let me also say i can play games that affect me and the reason they affect me almost never is the graphics it affects me because of the story and so I can definitely appreciate that and be like, wow, this was a, an amazing story that was written. Uh, it feels lifelike. The script is great. But so I can either be affected by the visuals and say that looks real. I can be affected by the story and be like, wow, that sounds real to life. And that's that's great. But usually from my perspective, I can't appreciate the coding on the back end. So I kind of wondered when, you know, as your trajectory has gone through here, what key aspect you're most proud of when you talk about the projects that, that you do? That's why, that's why I was coming with that question. I got you. Uh, I don't know the thing that, so like, I definitely appreciate the story, but uh, as I went through and started creating these different games and started prototyping, I always tried to set the scale very small. So even if there was a story, it was a story that was, you know, contextual. It never, I didn't explicitly uh, say that this was the story, but when even when I played games, I would walk around and look at the foliage and you know look try to see the planes and uh, see the textures and the see the vertices moving uh, to the noise and just you know that's kind of what I play games for. I guess it's different for everyone. Uh, whenever I was coding in uh, Action Script uh, during one of the Flash games, I just remembered actually having to uh, like point out uh, using vectors the. Uh, the positions of the collider and making bounds uh, by hand. And, you know, I didn't enjoy that part. So I wouldn't say that uh, just the raw like programming aspect of it um, was ever something that kind of, you know, got my gears going. There was even a class that I took at Marshall that was, uh, it was using C++ and DirectX 11. And it was pretty much, uh, we coded a rendering engine. It was, uh, it was going to be a game engine, but, it pretty much all we ever did was like render things to screen. I think one of the last assignments was uh, adding physics and getting collisions to happen and programming some aspect of gameplay. But, you know, for the most part, it's just always been the graphics. And even that class, uh, whenever we were learning uh, HLSL and we were, you know, it was, even if it was just a simple assignment as, you know, draw a cube on the screen, uh, vertice by vertice, we were learning the topology. We were learning how the game engine broke it down into triangles. Uh, we were learning, you know, uh, vertex color, what kind of data is stored in the vertex, uh, you know, with position and everything like that. 
So things like that interested me, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand, I, I understand where you're coming from there because I don't feel like doing it. It would feel very uh, exciting, or, or you know, I guess my new keyword here is sexy. Like it wouldn't feel <laughs> like, oh yeah, look at this, look at, look at all I'm doing. You know, you wouldn't feel like you're, uh, you're in one of those. Hollywood movies that tries to, you know, portray a hacker, you know, and the flashing lights and stuff. You're like, yeah, look at this. I'm so cool. Um, But on, on the flip side, lots of times when I watch the no clip documentary documentaries, or I know several years ago when Jeremy Doolin came and did one of his very first presentations about how you could code an Atari 2600 game. I was in awe based on what he told to think, my goodness, how did people get that much out of so little? Um, so maybe I can appreciate it more after the fact, but when you're in it, it just feels boring to do. So I was just curious. Yeah, there's I de- there's definitely things like memory allocation and like working within uh, tight constraints, especially going through the program uh, using some of the uh, engines that we were using. I had a very bad laptop, so I was essentially trying to make a game and optimize it the entire way to run on probably what the equivalent would have been is like the original Xbox. So I'm sitting here trying to do these things in very tight constraints. And I guess that part was fun. Sure. Yeah. Because you're like, I'm getting it to work, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's shaking and pieces are falling off of it. And, you know, I don't know how long it's going to work, but it's, it's, I'm getting it to work. Yeah. Yeah. Optimization was always something that, uh, just, I really liked. I think I spent an entire independent study learning how to uh, have my game run on my laptop under sixty frames a second. Wow! So that the game, the game on mental health, stood out for you at your time at MCTC. Um, it, between there and Marshall, were there projects that stood out for you? Maybe personal, or even at Marshall, that you'd want to talk about and talk about, like what aspects of them made them really hit home with you and and what you found fascinating about them? Yeah, uh, probably nothing as deep as the mental health one. Uh, I started getting a little more lighthearted in my assignments just to just to help me out. And there were I entered into a lot of game jams. So even outside of the classes and, you know, doing the uh, like kind of rigid assignments uh, put on by the professors, the doing the game jams kind of lets you have this freedom that uh, you know you can make whatever you want but you're also given a theme so you have to work within that theme and uh one that sticks out to me is it was just the theme was announced i think it was reality is stranger than fiction or something like that but it was the day after uh there was a press conference in the white house when uh trump was president (laughs) and one of the interns came up and grabbed the mic out of a cnn reporter's hand and then I heard the theme of the jam that's reality stranger than fiction. I was like, oh, this has to be my game. So I made an entire game where you play as Donald Trump and you have a golden microphone and you're in the press you're in the press pit and different reporters are standing up and you have to throw the golden microphone at uh, at your favorite news outlet and you know you'd have a special power up where you could hit spacebar and it would the intern would come flying out and take out all the other uh, opposing reporters and i was just you know it stood out probably because it was so crazy uh and topical it just had to be perfect timing yeah i mean yeah and i I was trying to in my head i was trying to visualize it to think about what game that might make me think about almost um it's like i was i was 
Yeah, I, I thought maybe more, maybe like a cooking mama, like suddenly you have all these reporters lined up and like you're trying to get out their stuff. But yeah, whack-a-mole, I, I got you there. I can go ahead and clear the field for you. That's, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So um, for people who may not know what a game jam is, will you explain what, I mean, you did mention there was a theme to it. So that part might make sense, but just kind of lay it out. And also I'll throw out there, um, at least before this whole coronavirus situation, I would have thought people might have always done like physical game jams that you went someplace, but I'm, I've learned even before this, that's not always the case. So if you would kind of like tell people about a game jam, what that's all about. So a game jam is basically just an event, uh, most sometimes held online, sometimes in person, like the global game jam, uh, they go and meet in person. Uh, this game was made for the uh, UE4 game jam. And a game jam is basically a, a slot of time set aside so that a bunch of people can enter into the jam. And then during that time, they have to make a game. And usually that game has a theme. Uh, theme could be anything. Usually sometimes can use whatever tools you want. But it's basically just like an allotted amount of time. So if the game jam is four days long, that's four days that you have to make a game. And then you would, uh, like the game that I just previously mentioned was an entire game made in four days. So I'm curious. Um, I, I'm sure I'm sure in other sectors, I can probably think, I keep on thinking about creative writing. I'm sure there are other places outside of my purview where they do stuff like this, where they basically say, you have 48 hours to write a, you know, creative essay or a creative story, go. And then people see what their output is. A game jam for you, um, do you find it more thrilling and exciting than a, a personal project? And is it because of the creativity or what aspects of it do you find fascinating to do, I guess, as I'm saying? That is a great question introspectively it's probably uh, a little bit of a masochist and i like the idea of you know you have to it has to be finished in this uh, time frame so even when i was taking classes like i think that the previous game i mentioned and most of my other game jams were done uh, while i was in school so i would have like finals going on which were super stressful but then in the game jam i had four days to just do whatever i wanted and a little bit of it is the time constraint uh, it's always fun to working within the theme and just kind of uh having different restraints put on you creatively be like, what can I do inside this box? Or even like, how can I branch out from this box, but still carry the box? So I think a lot of it is the restraint and the, uh, the idea too, that, you know, if you start a game jam and you only have four days to make, make a game by the end of that four days, you're going to have a game. So it kind of, uh, forced production on you. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point because, as a, I mean, even a non-programmer, I feel like I have tons of projects that I've started that I've never finished. But um, right. for for a person who decides to enter a game jam, for better or for worse, that sucker's going to be over in forty eight hours or ninety six hours or whatever it may be. And so, you're going to be done. You're going to see the end of the. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it may be a train, or it may actually be daylight, <laughs> depending on how good you're. You know, you got your time management there, but. Uh, yeah, I was just curious because, I mean, I would think that coming out of a game jam, there would always be lessons learned. Um, you know, even if you failed in failure, you've learned something. Um, but also, you probably get yourself some good time management. You may have uh, thought of some really creative stuff while you're working under stress. So uh, they, they seem like they're 
a really interesting thing to be involved with. I was just curious what your thoughts were uh, on them as a whole. Yeah, uh, they're really great, uh, especially like if you're working with a team, uh, just being able to have that account- accountability with each other. So if I tell my team member that I'm going to work on this and I get it done, it kind of makes you feel good, too, that you you know, you didn't let them down. You kind of, you know, you worked within the constraints. You got it done. Someone else counted on you. Uh, they You counted on them. And it's, you know, it's kind of uh, it helps keep keep the imposter syndrome at bay and. Imposter syndrome is basically just whenever you get into a field like this, especially, I know it happens in other fields, but you kind of always get the sense like, do I know what I'm doing? And, uh, or, or you think like, when are the people around me going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing? Uh, and that definitely helps it keep it at bay because you get people around you that are expecting something from you. And when you deliver it to them, you, it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a very good point. And I would have to think too, if you decide to voluntarily do game jams, whatever you produce, that is a lot of great um, fodder for you to use in an interview, in a portfolio. When you walk in and someone says, you know, how many projects have you done? You know, what have you worked on? You can sit there and say, you know, me and my team of four of the people, we had 48 hours to pull off this game. Here was my aspect. You can show some amazing project management there that you can that you've polished off you can show what you actually completed and you you quote unquote were ready to ship the game you know i think back to um i think back to to christian allen who was just one of our our keynote speakers well the keynote speaker at our last west virginia game developers expo and he mentioned that like you know studios are going to ask you what have you shipped and he one of his games he talked about um uh, there was a hotel game, the blind hotel game. I can't remember this name right now, but he mentioned, he goes, you know, I think it's hotel blind. Oh, well, yeah, I was pretty close. <laughs> I just seemed to flip it around like, like French or something. But yeah, he mentioned that with regards to the game, he, he looks at it now and like he'd have done so many better things, but there was so many learning experiences and he shipped the game. Like they want to see what you finished and you are going to finish something in a game jam. So I think that that would be, you know, worthwhile experience to have. And if you really enjoyed something during it, after the fact, you can delve more deeply into that and polish it off now that you've already finished iteration one. Yeah, there's a, I know a lot of people who like that when they ship their game or it comes out on Xbox, it started off as a game jam game and they've just iterated and made it better and, you know, published it. Or sometimes they're, they're probably fine to publish immediately after the jam. And there was even a game jam that we participated in that was horror themed. It was uh, the spoopy game jam that the, uh, the Marshall game design guild, which I had founded and then was a president of for a while, but then started just participating in the events, uh, you know, as a member. And we made, uh, it was uh, me and one other person and we made a game called curse corridors and the game, you pretty much just walk around uh, procedurally generated uh, hallways and you would, you know, the way it was designed is you'd walk down a hallway, uh, walk down another hallway, walk up a set of stairs, and it would load the next level, which is the same thing. And it would just keep continuing. But each room was different and each room changed and had different scripted events in it. So we were trying to go for like a PT feel, but we had to do it within two days. So oh, wow. we, we we got we sourced a lot of the assets uh, free online from like Turbo Squid, or I made some that we didn't have. A lot of the uh, sounds in it were sourced from uh, public domain libraries that people have online. And uh, after we finished the game, we 
submitted it to multiple jams and then, you know, weeks went by and we were like, you know, what, what came of this, you know, is anyone still playing it? I went and checked the downloads and it was insane. Like a bunch of people had downloaded it. Uh, I, I YouTubed it. I YouTubed the name of the game and there were playthroughs in Korean and, uh, J- Japanese. And I actually went through and translated some of them and not all the reviews were great, but I know that, like one of the videos, uh, was from a Korean YouTuber that had like, it was 150,000 views and it was just, you know, astro- it was insane to think that this game we made in two days was being played by people all around the world. And that that game sometimes was uh, positively reviewed. <laughs> so uh, a lot of good comes from participating in game jam games. Absolutely. And that's, that's awesome. You know, I, there, there is that saying, I think it goes something like uh, failure is just success training. And so that I mean, you you all did fantastic, you know, <laughs> with that game. But even if you had not, you will learn from your failures. You will learn what not to do next time. So I, I think game jams would be great. And and I do think back to um, I do think back to when um, Brad Kalinowski was at uh, two years ago's expo, and he talked about when they look for people to get hired on, they want to see people who have projects who did not necessarily just do assignments in class and game jams would legit be you voluntarily going out there, putting yourself out there in a team doing a project because you love this field and, and that can show so much. So uh, I would, I would definitely throw out there that if, if you're thinking about getting into this, uh, this field and you, you want to, you know, stick your toe in the water, game jams would be, a very uh, interesting experiment for you to do because you do give yourself possibly 48 hours, 96 hours. You have a window of time you have to complete. It's not like you say, I'm, I'm going to work on my grand masterpiece game. That's going to take me 15 years. You got to think reasonable. It's got to be doable. Uh, and you've got a time limit there. And so you can get to see a lot of aspects of game design in that small crucible uh, that gets created of time there. So yeah, game jams are, are, are amazing. So, um, so you talked, you talked about that game jam on the actual, uh, Marshall side. Are there any other, you know, memorable, uh, projects that you did in there that you think you want to talk about or, or even with AFO, you know, something, some, what comes next for you in your mind, I guess. Uh, probably I, it was, it was another thing that was outside of, school, but I also worked on it for a uh, independent study at Marshall, but I entered into the student game competition at E3. Uh, I know that another team had won from uh, EKU uh, the year before they, they were a finalist and they got uh, free tickets to E3. And that's, I won't lie. That was my motive. So when I heard that you got free tickets to E3 and they would fly you out there and everything, I was like, I got to try to win. Uh, So I made a game uh, in unreal that basically just, I was using it as a, like a playground too, just to learn the engine and learn how to do different things. And, uh, you know, I made like an experience system and, uh, enemy AI that would, uh, jump over, uh, it used an, uh, nav proxy links to link together to, uh, navigation volumes. Uh, so I probably spent probably a little too much time just learning, new things instead of trying to like pump out something that probably could have won, but it was fun either way. Um, uh, I think I made a dialogue system for the game that rarely got used. It was, there was like a one-off NPC that you could go talk to and there were only like three dialogue options. And when you were done talking to him, it would give you experience. Um, oh. 
but there were, you know, I got to learn a little bit more about Niagara and some of the visual effects tools inside of Unreal. I got to, you know, learn more about calling and optimization uh, just because I was still on that old laptop. And the game that I made from that is actually something that now I use as like a recruitment tool kind of, where I just like show students like, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you can do in the game. uh, It's from the perspective of like, you're put into a video game. So while you're in the game, the character is like, he has all these like fourth wall breaking comments. And I did a lot of the voice acting for that. Uh, So this was, it was a solo dev game that I pretty much just tried to do everything that I could in it. Um, A lot of UI work, uh, I tried a couple different accessibility uh, solutions and, you know, I, I learned that there's an entire uh, dialogue subtitle system built into the engine and have since started making my own. So that project, uh, Zen, and it's on uh, wickedoutgames.itch.io, but just that quick little demo that I made, I probably learned a lot making that in the shortest amount of time just because there were deadlines and I was still going to like vector conference uh and while I'd go to Vector Conference in between talks, I would go sit some. I'd find an empty room and I would work on the game. So did I hear that correctly? That you originally tried making that for E3 uh, to 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 build a, go to E3, but then after that, after you did not win there, you then took that and expanded on it even further, and that's what you use now for for demos to show students. Is yeah, that right? I, yeah, pretty much. I haven't really expanded on it so much. The what, what is on uh, what is online is the is what I had sent in, which there were, you know, no question. I didn't deserve, <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think that I deserve to have won. Uh, there is uh, a lot of talented people out there making games and they had also submitted to it. But now I was like, I already made this thing. I might as well just use it as an example pack. So I, I kind of use it as an example project. I have a lot of students that show that ask me like, how do I go about adding an experience system into a game? Or how do I go about doing this with the AI? How do I get the AI? You don't really think about it, but when the AI is on the ground and it needs to, it needs to have the logic to reach a gap and it needs, it wants to be, you know, on, it wants to clear that gap. It needs to know how to jump, when to jump, uh, and then work on, it's a third person game. So there's a lot of, uh, like animation logic of, you know, when the player moves from the strafing animation into the walking, when does it do that? And then we actually use like the, the thumbstick access to, uh, kind of dictate that so that it looks a little bit smoother and uh, yeah. And then the calling is just uh, again, trying to optimize it, trying to do that per instance. When you use the foliage tool inside of unreal, it places instance versions of that mesh and uh, by default, they'll kind of like pop in and out. And I use it as an, I use that in my example, whenever I show them uh, per instance calling in the shader uh, in like opacity masks and things like that. So it's just kind of become an example project. That I- well, I mean, it, it sounds, you know, most of what you're talking about there, I'm like, everything you're saying, there are core elements that are out there in AAA games. You know, your experiment experience system, your dialogue system, uh, your AI having to build a jump, just not the player, which, you know, that's, that's a, a really important point because so many times people focus on the player and I got to get the player to move and get the player animation to move if you're going to have any meaningful AI that's going to chase the player, they also need to be able to mind the gap and, and, and get from point A to point B. So uh, I, I think that's awesome to have that as a system. You mentioned that was out on itch.io. Is that right? Yeah. It was called Zen. Yes. Zen. 
Uh, it's on uh, wickedowlgames.itch.io. And a lot of the other, uh, they're mostly game jam projects, but a lot of my game jam projects are on there. Uh, actually, itch.io has, if you go to itch.io forward slash jams, they have this really nice calendar where you can go on there and you can see all the different jams that are uh, happening and you can sign up for them, you know, see what they're about, see what there's. Sometimes you can see what the restrictions are before you join. Okay. So, uh, so itch.io themselves, even you mentioned how there are some, uh, game jams that are local, but there's also game jams online. Uh, would I, would I assume that with itch.io there, that's a, a portal away for me to do one of those distance game jams. That's where I would submit my game. If I was doing, you know, an online version of a game jam, would that be right? Yep. Some of them are online, uh, like mainly online and you can go on there and, uh, you can even, they have, you know, systems for you to be able to like either comment or go find teams and, uh, it's mostly online and then you submit it through itch. And even if you just wanted to submit a game on itch, it's free, uh, you could sell your game on itch and there's not, you don't necessarily have that, uh, system that steam does. It's a little bit more restrictive. If you have more uh, memorable projects you want to talk about, we can definitely do that. But one area I'm thinking about here that I haven't heard mentioned yet that I'm interested to hear about how you transitioned into, besides just game jams, um, I do know that you you helped start a um, an Unreal Engine community around here. And I'm sure that there are other, you know, I'm sure Unity has them as well, that type of thing. But really the first time I heard about it, was when you all had the, the Huntington chapter. Can you talk about those types of communities, how someone finds them, and any meaningful projects you've done with them? Yeah, so uh, I did. I do want to start off by saying that I had some prior experience uh, leading and running events with the West Virginia Game Developers Expo, and I kind of liked the idea of having a community near me or uh, even close to me to be able to meet up and talk about these ideas. And uh, Unity does have them also. Uh, they're just usually called user groups. Uh, that's actually what the uh, the Unreal U- Unreal Engine user group Huntington chapter uh, is. We'll just we'll kind of meet up. We'll talk about our experiences. Sometimes we'll have workshops. Like uh, I know that David Dunphy does a lot of two D work inside of Unreal Engine, which is kind of a uh, like a niche thing that there isn't a lot of resources online about. And he'll come to our meetups and say like This is how you break down a sprite sheet and this is how you create animations. If you need to fix the animation, this is how you do it. Here's how you make uh, tile maps and, you know, create levels very quickly inside of uh, Unreal, which is a 3D engine, but there are 2D tools inside of it. Uh, So, you know, just depending on which different community member has, uh, you know, specialties. I know that we had another talk. We had uh, the first meetup was at the expo and it was on Niagara. And I was just learning Niagara and uh, did a real quick workshop on that. Did the intro to 2D, which I heard a lot of people uh, get back to me and say, like, I didn't even know you can make 2D games in Unreal until you did that workshop. Uh, so there's just, yeah, it's, uh, and there are a lot. I, there's actually a meeting tomorrow in uh, Kansas City. Uh, there's groups all over the world. Um, ours has been meeting online for uh, the past couple of weeks. Uh, we mostly just get in there and talk about our projects, uh, share share work we've done. We've been pretty chill since the uh, since the pandemic started, so we didn't want to like stress out our members too much with like pushing content on them. But for the most part, it's just like a support group that you go to, and uh, a lot of our events now are hosted on Discord. 
Yeah, I just when we talked about how, you know, game jams would be an excellent way for someone to dip their toe into programming and, and see what it's all about and kind of get the whole immersive experience. Being able to have these, um, you, you call them user communities, is uh, that right? User groups. Uh, they're the, the bigger, that is just what ours is called. There's some of them are still called uh, meetups. So like on meetup.com, if I'm interested in Bitcoin, I can go on there and search for Bitcoin and it will... You know, it'll give me groups in my area that also meet to discuss Bitcoin. Uh, it's like that with Unreal Engine. People go on there, uh, which they actually now go to uh, communities.unrealengine.com. But, you know, you go there, uh, you find out if there's one in your area or if there's one that you just want to join. A lot of them now are meeting online. So, well, that was going to that was totally going to be my next question. If someone's interested in doing this, meetup.com would would have a plethora of different um you know, hobbies potentially if someone's trying to get into there, oh, but yeah. specifically for unreal communities.unreal.com. Yes. Communities.unrealengine.com. And then if you look for our group, if you want to join, uh, it's uh, the unreal engine user group Huntington. Yeah. Well, I guess the reason why I'm bringing that up is because this reminds me, and I'm, I'm sure it comes out of this. This reminds me in my Microsoft classes, we regularly go back and watch uh, documentaries about the creation of the desktop PCs and that type of thing. And back when the very first quote unquote desktop PC came out, the Altair, they used to have these homebrew computer club meetups where people would bring in their computers and they would show what they did with them and that type of thing. And this, this feels like this is still in the same vein where everybody shows up to this thing they show the latest work they've done on such and such project. And if people are like, oh, that's awesome. How did you do that? They can pull out their laptop and show the code. So it becomes a nice brain share situation where if you are timid and you are not really good with, with stuff, you can bring in your work. You can show your work and be like, this is what I'm a trying, trying to accomplish. Can anybody give me an idea? And it sounds way more personal than, than a message board could be or or even trying to go out and watch a YouTube video where you can't communicate two way with the person you're watching the video on. Oh yeah. Uh, that was kind of uh, the idea with starting the Marshall Marshall university game design guild too, or it was like, we were all there learning game design, but even when we went to the meetings, you know, sometimes not everyone had experience in unity or not everyone had experience in unreal. So we would just talk, we would shift off on what we were talking about, or we'd have workshops but then with the Unreal Engine user group, we can, you know, we're all there because we're using Unreal Engine. So our talks can be a little more specific and we can really talk about the different pipelines. I know that uh, we actually had a talk once uh, using Blender. So it's not always Unreal Engine, but it is usually uh, the topic covers, you know, the workflow of eventually what might be in Unreal Engine. Okay, very cool. Um, I will just say before I my last thing here that that you currently your uh your go-to engine you work in is unreal soon to be unreal 5 but currently unreal 4 uh once once 5 comes out i'm sure you'll you will you will jump all over that but um that's that's why you're currently leading and helping with the uh the unreal engine you know user groups that are out there my, I just wanted to throw it out there for people that to say that you know there are other ones out there but but Corey definitely is um all about the blueprints, uh, you know, all about the, the C-sharp under the hood of Unreal Engine. 
I wanted to throw out there at the end, if someone's listening to this, if they're, they're hearing about this, if they're learning about the projects you've done and how meaningful they can be, do you have any advice short of already saying, you know, go to a game jam and go find yourself uh, user groups, different communities out there, that type of thing. Do you have extra advice for them on how to become successful uh, as a designer slash developer slash programmer? Uh, join a lot of job boards. Uh, keep learning. Do it a lot. I always try to liken it to like when you're in school and you're trying to what's probably more relatable to a lot of people is like, you know, they they think of when you're trying out for a team like basketball team where it's like, I'm going to walk around with the basketball. I'm going to eat dinner with the basketball. That kind of becomes, you know, like the topic you're learning. So if you're if you're trying to dive deep into a topic, uh, kind of, you know, pace yourself, obviously, and uh, do it responsibly. But you know, just don't stop. Don't give up. It's like, other than all the other things and joining, uh, join a lot of job boards, find as many communities as you can. Like I'd, I'd mentioned before that I'd even joined a lot of the other meetup groups. So even the, like, I'm probably going to attend the Unreal meetup in Kansas city. They're doing it virtually. So I was like, why not, uh, join as many as you can, uh, groups on Facebook, uh, share on Twitter, share your work, the Unreal Engine community is super supportive. Even if you think like I'm just starting off and this isn't really much to show, uh, share it. You'd be surprised. He'll like and share your posts. Um, yeah, just share and be open about it. You know, ask for advice. Yeah, there's there's a ton of other people who have been where you've been, and they will gladly be supportive and help you out to to figure out your problem. Well, I will I will caveat that with saying. Make sure if you're asking for help that you explain what you've already attempted and make sure you've attempted something. Uh, so many times, student or otherwise, I've seen people who will be like, I don't know how to do this. And then someone will say, well, what have you tried? Nothing. I, I came to ask you how to do this. Like, Make sure you've put an effort into trying to do it so that they can understand your process and what you're trying to accomplish. And that also you've actually tried to do this and you've good faith. You have actually put work into it and now you're asking for help because there's nothing, at least I find personally that, that I get more aggravated about when someone is like, just do this for me. Like, that's oh yeah. Not the way it works. Yeah. Don't, don't work for free. I will say don't work for free with the, like, you know, work on your own stuff for free, but like, there you'll see a lot of times in groups too, where it's like, Hey, I want to make a game. Does anyone want to, does anyone want to make it for me? Like, uh, when, yeah. And then the same thing with like asking questions, make sure that you've like, you've done a fair amount of research, look at the documentation, uh, you know, after, after, after you've Googled it, uh, you know, what, where are you at in the problem? Pictures, a lot of screenshots, uh, answers.unrealengine.com should still be up. I know the wiki just went down. But uh, answers.unrealengine.com, there's a huge community of people. And even uh, things like, uh, I almost hate recommending it, but like Stack Overflow. If, <laughs> if you go there, you can read a lot of people's uh, questions and answers and things like that. I will say that Stack Overflow is notorious for uh, being one of those places that, you know, you better 
better ask the right question. Uh, I very much agree. I've gone there and I've seen some like, I mean, I want to get out the popcorn, man, and just sit there and eat <laughs> yeah. it while I'm nice reading the red. threads of, of these people that just like take people apart. Yeah. One more question popped in my head for you, and, and then we'll finish this episode. Um, I I have the problem a lot of times that I have the difficult time getting to the correct terminology to even Google. Like, for example, for years, I wanted to be able to make um, something in Ajax or something in, in something like Prototype JS where I wanted to actually link to drop-down boxes or a link to select boxes. And it took me forever to figure out the exact term that I could Google to do what I want. Like maybe, maybe a person has no idea that collision detection is the actual words they need to be typing to learn. How do I make sure when I hit an enemy, I die, for example. Do you have suggestions for that type of thing? Because yes, we always say Google it. But if you don't know how to even put it into Google as a term, what should they do? Or do you have any advice there? That is a great question. And one that I, it took, it probably took me a while to figure out. And maybe it's just easier now that I'm using such a well-documented engine, but uh, like, like a a perfect example is vectors. You know, there's, uh, there's vectors, which is, you know, you have three floats or it's just, you have vector that is, uh, it could be a matrix. It could be a vector of vectors. Um, it's also a container. It's a data type. So you can have uh, like expandable arrays that are vectors. Uh, so like if you're searching, try to include, don't like, don't Google like straight on sentences like, okay, so how do I do this? Do try to let autocorrect and like IntelliSense, even if you're in the IDE and you're typing, uh, try to see what IntelliSense will tell you. Uh, if you're watching videos and you don't really know what something means, Google it. There's a lot of textbooks free online, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of videos that just go over terminology in general. But then, like for example, in Unreal, if I want to know something, uh, like if I say I could Google uh, ray marching, and I'll probably get uh, a bunch of different results. But then if I put ray marching UE4, uh, just trying to find it. it Take some trial and error, but just trying to find the thing that uh, yields the best results. And don't always, Google's good, but sometimes it's on the second page. You know, just read around, read a lot. uh, And then eventually it'll just, the terms just kind of, you'll start to see. It's like the matrix. Yeah, suddenly you'll be Neo and you'll see all (laughs) the zeros and ones floating down. I know. I gotcha. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, Corey, thank you so much for talking to us about uh, being a designer and developing uh, programming games, that type of thing. Uh, it's It's been very informative, and I hope people got some really awesome tips and advice out of this if they're thinking about going down the same path you've done. So thank you so much. Thank you. That's going to do it this week for Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith. Have a week. Have a week.